It's beginning to look a lot like 1950. No two films recall that era more than Barbie and Oppenheimer, both opening this weekend. Despite these films being completely different in every way imaginable, they have nonetheless captivated the internet as a reach back in time to a forgotten world, just as the sci-fi movies of the 1950s reached forward to a world they could never know. There is something about the two of them as a Romeo and Juliet on the eve of the apocalypse that has inspired the internet to reimagine a whole different movie called Barbenheimer. For podcast listeners, an AI mashup of a movie trailer called Barbenheimer. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in a race against the Nazis. And I know what it means if the Nazis have the bomb. She's a scientist. And I hear she's the best. Good. She's also a doctor. Excellent. She's also a flight attendant, astronaut, Marine Corps medic, paleontologist, veterinarian, and three-time Olympic gold medalist. I see the bright pink glow of a new era. We imagine a future. And our imaginings look fabulous and various photos collected from internet artists who have put the two films together. There is sexual tension in these mashups, a world of opposites that we humans find alluring. Yet don't go looking for that in the Barbie movie. It is an example of not just woke capitalism, Mattel attempting to rebrand for the socially conscious Gen Z, but adheres to the strict rules of the new woke order, that is, to reverse the social hierarchy. No feminist icon would be caught dead in a typical rom-com now. Writer-director Greta Gerwig has already built a name on strong female characters. With complicated relationships with men, it wasn't too far of a leap to imagine Barbie without a Ken. Oh, there are Kens, but these Kens are not what one would call heteronormative. Oh, looks like this beach was a little too much beach for you, Ken. If I wasn't severely injured, I would beach you off right now, Ken. I'll beach off with you any day, Ken. Hold my ice cream, Ken. All right, Ken, you're on. Let's beach off. Anyone who wants to beach him off has to beach me off first. I will beach both of you off at the same time. But you don't even know how to beach yourself off. How are you going to beach oh, both of us off? It doesn't make sense. Ken? And you can you beach yourself off. You're going to beach Come both on, of us off. Beach. Here, men, straight men, mostly white men, are at the very bottom of the pyramid. At the top are the marginalized Barbies. Poor stereotypical Barbie, a thin, pretty blonde amid a culture war, must find her way through this new power structure. Awash in confusion, Barbie is hit with an existential crisis. Who is she? What is she? Where does she belong? She must escape to the world of humans to find out. There she discovers the old hierarchy, the dreaded patriarchy, wherein men have all the power. And not only that, somehow in the wokiest of progressive cities, Los Angeles, all of the men behave as though they've been spit out of the 1980s, long before the Me Too movement scared the living daylights out of them. It's meant to be tongue-in-cheek and not taken literally, but all the same, it reflects the alignment of power across all cultural, educational, corporate, and political institutions. Hoping to not just hold on to their utopian society built under Obama, but force all of America to go along with it. In its own way, Barbie is merely a delivery device for the status quo. That brings us all the way back to the 1950s. 
Coming out of World War II was traumatic for the entire world. It's not surprising that America would shore up its patriotism, nuclear families, and shared reality. Television was the delivery device for most people. But that easily recognizable Americana was reflected in movies, too. By the 1960s, the utopia of the 1950s would not exist as the counterculture revolution would fracture the cohesive whole. Too many people were left behind. Too many people were suffering. Too many people wanted a different kind of America, a freer one. The conservative Eisenhower administration would give way to the liberal Kennedy administration. The Kennedys in government, so young, so handsome, so charismatic, would help ignite a revolution. It wouldn't be until 2008, when Obama rose to power, that another alignment across all major institutions would begin to take shape. Once that alignment was threatened, however, that's when things took a darker turn. They would have to fight for their survival, and when utopias have to fight against unseen existential threats, that's when they become authoritarian. That's why Barbie is getting not just a massive publicity push, but it has also wormed into politics and media, because now it's been rebranded as feminist. Here is the set of The View turning into Barbie. Thank you so much, and thank everyone. This is so amazing. I mean, look at the mugs. I know. Our set design. I, this is, really, it's bowling me over. We want really you to feel is. at home, so. Right. Yes, yes, I need to be in my dream house at all times. <laughs> no, you just walked out to dance the night from the soundtrack. Um, and the, the movie has a great cast, including Ryan Gosling, Margot Robbie, uh, and Margot also produced it. Mm -hmm. And she came to you and wanted you and your partner, Noah Baumbach, to write the script. And here is Governor Gretchen Whitmer getting in on it. For podcast listeners, there's pictures of a series of tweets by Gretchen Whitmer showing the Barbie created for her doing Barbie things. Barbie would be genuinely funny instead of just kind of funny had the filmmakers been allowed to satirize the left. But of course, it is verboten. So they aim their jokes mostly at the safe and available targets, men. The unintended consequence of this is that the men steal the show because they are allowed to be complex and imperfect and therefore funny. They can be failures. They can be mean. They can speak hard truths without fear of judgment. They're already on the lowest rung. How much worse can it get? By contrast, the women shrink into the background because they do have to be perfect and therefore boring. Here's a clip from Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. Hi, Ken. I got us both ice cream. Cool. Hi, Barbie. 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 Hi, Ken. Hi, Barbie. 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 Oh, hi, Alan. There are no multiples of Alan. He's just Alan. Yeah, I'm confused about that. Despite their continued implementation of self-aware jokes, they know they can't touch the elephant in the room because no one can. It isn't for lack of material. No group in my lifetime is more deserving of mockery than the self-righteous, sanctimonious, uptight left. The plus-size Barbie, the trans Barbie, the black president Barbie, the disabled Barbie, all should be making jokes about their specific types like the Kens do and how that traps them for all time. 
It is another unintended commentary on the left, where people are defined only by their cultural or gender identity. Gerwig has made a movie about herself, but has no place for herself in the story. Her protagonist, Barbie, is sidelined at the end and decentered from the narrative just to ensure the marginalized Barbie save themselves. No wonder Barbie is a teary-eyed mess. As with most things on the left, Barbie isn't really for kids, or if it is, it is rushing them towards something they yet again aren't ready for. Have you no decency? It's hard not to watch what happens in our government every day. Not in the Barbie land America, but on the outside, where the dissidents and abandoned citizens fight for their country they love. Just as J. Robert Oppenheimer had to fight in 1954 for the country he loved, a country that had turned its back on him, accused him of being a traitor and revoking his security clearance. The fear of dissent now seems to revolve mostly around the unseen menace of racism that the left sees everywhere and in everything. When you boil it down, it really just means what being a communist sympathizer meant in 1954. Wrong think at the wrong time. A brief timeline. 1947, Truman issues the Truman Doctrine, committing U.S. to contain world communism. 1949, U.S. begins prosecution of Communist Party leaders for conspiracy to overthrow the government. They were found guilty of violating the Smith Act, which criminalized plans to overthrow the government. Early 1950s, McCarthyism at high tide. Hundreds of actors, teachers, and government officials lose their jobs. Increased military spending as U.S. fights Korean War. 1953, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg, executed for selling atomic secrets to the USSR. Korean War ends. 1954, Eisenhower signs the Communist Control Act. Quote, The American people are determined to protect themselves and their institutions against any organization in their midst, which, purporting to be a political party within normally accepted meaning, is actually a conspiracy dedicated to the violent overthrow of our entire government. End quote. 1954, Oppenheimer is persecuted by the government and stripped of his security clearance. 1954, four Puerto Rican nationalists open fire on the floor of the House of Representatives from the Spectators Gallery, injuring five members, one seriously. They were convicted of seditious conspiracy, but were freed by Jimmy Carter in 1979. 1954, Edward R. Murrow publicly humiliates Senator McCarthy. 1954, Joseph Welch says to McCarthy, Have you no decency? 1954, President Eisenhower quietly begins campaign to discredit McCarthy. 1954, Army McCarthy hearings lead the Senate to strip McCarthy of his power. 1956, the liberal-leaning Warren Court's 1956 ruling that mere advocacy of revolution was insufficient grounds to convict. The U.S. government ended their prosecution of communists for party membership alone. When power aligns across all major institutions as it did in post-World War II America, and as it has done now, censorship becomes a widely accepted practice across those same institutions to preserve unity. For example, at the same time as the campaign launched to rebrand Barbie as a feminist icon and give every woman a voice, Eventbrite canceled a Let Women Speak event, calling it hate speech. But conservative activists are finally pushing back, and they're getting organized. Just look at Austin, Texas, where they've got an event coming up in August. Here, take a look at it. It's called Let Women Speak, 
Uh, that seems like a reasonable idea. Let women actually step up and voice their opinions in opposition of things like gender ideology, the erasure of women, protecting women in sports, mutilation of healthy bodies, things like that. You know, all the hard-fought women's rights that have been earned over the last many decades by women in this country. Austin, known for their sensibilities, their liberal ideology, they should be open to the idea of letting women speak. Well, not so much. The organizers put together an Eventbrite invitation so that people could register and sign up for the event, and well, look what happened. Eventbrite sent an email saying that this is out of guidelines and their terms of services specifically regarding hateful, dangerous, or violent content at events. Violent content, Eventbrite. That doesn't sound so bright. Joining us now is the organizer of this event, who's now going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Eventbrite over it. She's Michelle Evans, a chapter leader for Independent Women's Network. Michelle, I am stunned by this, that just allowing women to speak their mind can't happen. It's, it's violence. It's offensive. That means there's only one idea and perspective that's allowed in this discussion? That's correct. It's the male fetishists, the male who are males who are pretending to be women in order to enter our spaces. They are the only ones that are allowed to have an opinion on this matter. Uh, this is scheduled for when? This is August, right? August 12th. Now, so far, it's just Eventbrite that's trying to cancel you. The city of Austin or wherever you're um, going to be doing there, are you getting any other pressure from any other affiliated? No media outlets will report on this. That's nothing new. We've become numb to their deafening silence whenever a story breaks that is inconvenient for them. Just like they will ignore yet another horrifying congressional hearing, wherein the Democrats yet again embarrass themselves on camera. For podcast listeners, a tweet by Brett Weinstein, the Democratic Party has become hostile to the Republic. The Democrats are long gone, but moving to censor RFK Jr. in a hearing on censorship is like putting up a neon sign that says, F America and the principles it wrote in on. Every time we've reached our have-you-no-decency moment with the Democrats, they somehow find a whole new bottom. Ben Shapiro's analysis of RFK Jr. testimony is spot on. The Democrats' attacks on RFK Jr. really were quite scurrilous yesterday. One of my least favorite modes that the Democratic Party goes into is the you-must-be-an-anti-Semite mode to people who clearly are not anti-Semites. I mean, RFK Jr., suggesting that RFK Jr. is an anti-Semite, I'd like to see the evidence on that one. Like, really, I want to see your work. I want to show me on the back of an envelope. And I'm not going to hear it from the same Democratic Party that has repeatedly and consistently put the existence of the state of Israel at risk, made excuses for the open anti-Semitism of Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, Cori Bush, and the rest of the squad caucus in the Democratic Party. I'm not interested in hearing from you guys about anti-Semitism when the White House's anti-Semitism report their preferred policy going forward was in part observed and written by the Council on American Islamic Relations, an Islamist front group. I'm like, no, the answer is no. Listening to Debbie Wasserman Schultz lecture RFK Jr. about anti-Semitism is just galling. These are the same exact Democrats again who make excuses for some of the worst anti-Semites in America, elected anti-Semites. And yet RFK Jr. is some, because RFK Jr. made a comment at a dinner where he misread a study talking about genetic markers who, and who is more vulnerable to COVID? The idea is magically that RFK Jr. is the real threat to the Jews here from the same Democratic Party that is currently attempting to cut a deal with the genocidally anti-Jewish state of Iran 
the government of Iran, as well as urging concessions by the state of Israel to actual, honest to God, Hitler-esque terror groups like Hamas. It's just amazing to me and galling to me and disgusting. Again, it's all about power. Here is Debbie Wasserman Schultz suggesting that RFK Jr. is an anti-Semite because of that comment that he made about the genetic markers of COVID or some such. Let's be very clear here. There's no legitimate comparison to the Holocaust. It doesn't matter if you're talking about AI, vaccine mandates, or anything else. There is no comparison. And if this were a slip of the tongue, Mr. Kennedy, or a one-off comment, we would all move on. But there's a deeply disturbing pattern. In 2015, you apologized to all those, quote, whom I offended by my use of the word Holocaust to describe the autism epidemic. When discussing efforts to encourage others to get vaccinated for COVID-19, you said Nazis did that in the camps in World War II. They tested vaccines on gypsies and Jews. That was a quote. Like before, you apologized for invoking the Holocaust, saying, quote, to the extent my remarks caused hurt, I am truly and deeply sorry. These are not real statements of contrition or remorse. They are passive-aggressive non-apologies that blame the listener for reacting to the lie you just spread. Oh my God, he made a bad Holocaust comparison, almost like virtually everyone in politics. Again, do I like those Holocaust comparisons? No. Do I think they are appropriate? No. Do I think this means that RFK Jr. hates Jews? No. Quote, there is no place for dogma in science. The scientist is free and must be free to ask any question, to doubt any assertion, to seek any evidence, to correct any errors. End quote. J. Robert Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer wasn't thinking about what kinds of people he could be friends with, what kinds of women he could have relationships with, what kinds of books he could read or causes he could support as he came of age in a free country. It's not that different from how so many of us lived our lives freely, having no idea our government and so many institutions would go along with interrogating our past to punish us now. Yet, cultural alignment often means there is nowhere to turn— which is what happened to Oppenheimer in 1954. He had to live with their punishment to revoke his security clearance, charges they did not vacate until 2022. Eisenhower had the good sense and the courage to see that Senator McCarthy was weakening the unity in the America of the 1950s. Paranoia was everywhere. Even I Love Lucy, whose early associations with the Communist Party meant her career would have gone up in smoke had J. Edgar Hoover not called her on air to tell Americans she wasn't a communist. Eisenhower's efforts to bring down McCarthy helped end the hysteria in 1954. But who will rescue us today? When does any of it end? How bad will it have to get? Or worse, what has become of us in the meantime? What would we do if confronted with not just an Adolf Hitler, but an entire Nazi army ready to overtake the world while flying high on meth? Who could have predicted such a thing? Who could have prepared for it? Lucky for us and our allies. We had prepared because we raised men like the generals of World War II, Patton, MacArthur, and Eisenhower, and scientists like J. Robert Oppenheimer. We were a country that rewarded strength and masculinity. We were a country that always encouraged the best and the brightest to rise to the top. It's hard now to look at ourselves as anything other than a nation in decline. In attempting to cling to the utopian vision of the Obama coalition, there has been a united effort to push for equity, not high achievement. Yet that ideology, even with the best of intentions, exists in a world free of fascist dictators like Hitler. We have an administration now that has been at war with its own people going on seven years now all because they dared to challenge their power. 
Christopher Nolan's masterpiece, Oppenheimer, based on the book American Prometheus, is not an easy sit. I've heard many people call it a slog, and too confusing. It isn't like Sound of Freedom, which is a film I could recommend to anyone. Oppenheimer is only for those who are interested in both the filmmaking and the subject. Clocking in at three hours, Nolan never slows down to explain to the audience who is who and what is what. He moves as quickly through the dense plot, building up the suspense as it goes along. He fills it with beautifully surreal images to reflect what Oppenheimer can see in the mind's eye. An atomic test. The Russians have a bomb. We're supposed to be years ahead of them, but... What were you guys doing in Los Alamos? And how many people were in these, uh... Open discussions. Too many compartmentalization was supposed to be the protocol. We were in a race against the Nazis. So now the race is against the Soviets. Not unless we started. Robert, they just fired a starting gun. What's the nature of the device they detonated? The film centers around the relationship between Oppie and Louis Strauss, Robert Downey Jr., who are both involved in building the bomb, but their relationship fractures when Oppie wants to stop further development of the hydrogen bomb and slow the arms race, and Strauss wants to push forward. Strauss, who always resented Oppenheimer, orchestrates his demise. This is not a story with a happy ending. Oppenheimer's life is a tragedy. His personal life and his career were filled with chaos and disappointments, one after the other. And yet somehow, in the pages of the book about him, and in this film, we have rediscovered an American hero at exactly the right time. At least those of us who live as he did, as an outsider. It is not just a reminder of the abundance of nukes we're all sitting on as tensions heat up around the world but also what fear and paranoia can do when power is aligned at the top across so many institutions at once. Nolan films the scenes from Strauss's POV in black and white and Oppie's in color. Imagine seeing that on real film and on IMAX. Doesn't get better than that. Many tweets have said, wait until the right-wingers find out Oppenheimer was a communist, then they'll attack the movie. Their lack of self-awareness is breathtaking. Do they not see what they have become? And all for what? Because they couldn't stand sharing this country with a guy like Trump who broke all of their rules. Trump, like Oppenheimer, like RFK Jr., is a man out of time. Someone whose brash personality was rewarded in the 1980s, but now is caught in the spider web of authoritarianism. How many more dissenters will they have to purge? How many fine minds will they have to destroy? And how many reputations will they have to discredit before they're finally exhausted by all of it, like so many of us already are? But just as the 1960s shattered the utopia of the 1950s, the backlash is coming, not from the left, but from the right. A counterculture revolution will lead the way, and sooner or later, government is bound to follow. One only need look at the success of Sound of Freedom, crossing the $100 million mark to feel the drumbeat underfoot of a new world, 
trying to break through the old one. Nolan might not realize he has made a film that is a commentary on our world now, just as Greta Gerwig might not realize that the film she made says more about the left than she'll ever know. But that's the funny thing about art, or science, or truth. You never know where it will land, or how it will play over time. Thank you for listening to my Substack, sashastone.substack.com, and remember, to thine own self, be true. Hope you have a wonderful weekend.
said I love you Like the stars above Oh, I love you, baby, till I die Then there's a place for us You know the movies When you only realize It was just a time for us I can't do the talk, no like the dying on the TV And I can't do a love song Like the way it's meant to be Can't do everything But I'll do anything for you I can't do anything Except be in love with you And all I do is miss you The way we used to be All I do is keep the beat Walk and walk When all I do is kiss you Through the bars of a rhyme Julie, I do the stars with you, baby You and me, babe How about it? 